Welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Rose. Today, we're exploring the topic of sexuality. This episode is a little different as we have two experts for the topic. So first, let's hear from a Sac State Associate Professor. My name is Tristan Josephson. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm an Associate Professor in the Women and Gender Studies Department at Sacramento State. I teach uh, Gender and Sexuality Studies. I also am the advisor for the LGBTQ Studies minor that's housed in my department. I'd love to just get a definition of what is sexuality. Yeah, that's there is no one definition, right? I mean, I think sexuality, the way that I talk about it with my students in class anyway, is we think about it as a social construction. So it's a um, it's a social and cultural category that has a particular history that's contingent on time and place. So what constitutes or what's seen as sexuality changes over time and place. You know, I think broadly we can think about sexuality as you know, encompassing a lot of different things. I think often folks think about sexuality, particularly in the U.S., particularly in the 21st century, we think about it in terms of an identity, right? We often understand ourselves as having a sexuality and we can put words to it, right? Whether that's queer, straight, bisexual, you know, gay, lesbian, pansexual. But sexuality is also, so it can be an identity, although that's a really recent historical phenomenon, right? For centuries of human time, sexuality wasn't sutured with an identity in the way that it is now. So I think we often think of it as an identity. We think of it also as like practices or behaviors, right? Like literally how we have sex with other people or with ourselves, right? We think about it in terms of desires, fantasies. So I push students to understand sexuality can mean all those things, but it can also mean like knowledges, right? So that's both like academic knowledge, like the way that people are studying sexuality, but also um, the way that we are even able to have this conversation right now and say sexuality is this thing, right, is a product of that. And then what's some history behind the term? It's important to understand sexuality as a social construction. And so even in kind of Euro-American context, the the formation of the idea of heterosexuality as a thing and homosexuality as a thing, a type of person or it's an identity, that idea really only dates back to the late 1800s. Before then, you know, obviously humans have been having sex as long as humans have been around, right? Um, So like, you know, acts, behaviors, practices have existed, but this idea that there is a way that we can classify certain people according to this thing we call sexuality and that that says something really deep and inherent about that person, right? That's the identity piece. That's relatively new, right, in our human history. And so that's one way of thinking about the history of of sexuality is even sort of that suturing of sexuality with identity and the ways that, you know, before homosexuality and heterosexuality got, became these classificatory systems, which happened through kind of Western science and medicine, right? And, And actually happened through a perspective of trying to create norms of sexuality or enforce norms of sexuality, right? So a lot of the sexologists, um, European sexologists who are writing about sexuality in the late 1800s, some of them were sympathetic to people they saw as what came, like the language of inversion was often used to think about people before the language of homosexuality, right? So to think about like, you know, men who desired other men to understand that they had some sort of like inverted gender, right? That they're the, the sort of normal sexual desire would be for a man to desire a woman. So there was something about 
kind of sexual inversion that were happening, right? Their, I, their sexuality wasn't being expressed in a normative way, right? So a lot of the, the that hit, that particular ver, um, thread of history is about identifying homo, these people called homosexuals so that they could be either corrected or cured or understand sort of why is this a form of deviance, right? So the history of sexuality, at least in kind of the Western context, is about, is often tied to the kind of normalization of heterosexuality, right? And that seeing heterosexuality as an ideal. Um, And we can trace that back longer than the 1800s, right? I mean, often with my students, we talk about the way histories of colonialism are really important to think about in relation to to um, sexuality and gender in the present day, right? So, you know, really briefly, right, some of the first um, colonizer, the European colonizers that came over to what is now known as the Americas, right, came over with their own sets of ideas around what normative sex and gender look like. And when they saw indigenous groups or other groups having different sex gender systems, whether that meant they were, you know, um, inhabiting different expressions of gender or their sexual sexuality, their sexual systems just look different. They were often punished, either murdered or corrected in some ways, right? Um, so, you know, we can think about those longer histories too of kind of centuries, not just more recently. But I think it's helpful to to have that longer historical view, but then to also understand that, yeah, the, the way that we think about sexuality in the U.S. in the 21st century is really culturally and historically specific, um, even though it feels totally normalized, right? I kind of want to talk about the terms gender and sex. What's the difference between them and how they kind of play a part in sexuality? Yeah, well, I think they are. those are three distinct categories, right? But as you're saying, but they also are often conflated. And, they, and for a reason that they're interconnected, right? So I can start with sex. The way that we can define sex is um, the sort of the meanings that are attributed to particular bodies, right? So in the U.S. and in many parts of the world, there's a sex gender binary. So there's assumption that there's two sexes, right? Male and female. We know that that's not true. Even those categories aren't mutually exclusive, right? What counts as male, what counts as female, again, is being, you know, Western science and medicine has said, if your body looks like this, you're in this category. If your body looks like this, you're in this category. There's folks who have intersex conditions who may have different hormonal Um, balances in their bodies or different chromosomal um, configurations that aren't like XX or XY, right? Um, Or maybe they have, you know, genitals that um, or secondary sex characteristics that don't fall neatly into these assumed two separate groups of male and female, right? So there's, you know, it's clear that the language of sex in terms of two categories is insufficient, right, for the variety of types of bodies that we have. So when I talk about sex with students, I'm saying like, I'm pushing against this sort of biological understanding. We often think about sex, sex equals biology, right? And that's not, that's not actually true, right? What sex is, is the medical and cultural readings of the body, right? The meanings that are layered onto bodies, right? That our bodies exist in all the ways that they exist, but it's, we're understanding them through this language, right? And then gender is often read off of sex, Right. So if you're assigned male at birth, you're assumed to identify as a man or as masculine. Right. Um, So gender is both assigned. Right. By doctors, the law. Right. Other institutions, our parents. But it's also an identity. Right. So some folks, you know, the gender that they're assigned feels comfortable to them. 
throughout their life, that's great, right? Other folks um, d doesn't feel comfortable and may want to, you know, may end up expressing or identifying with another gender identity, right? Some folks' sense of their gender changes over time, right? So talk about folks identifying as trans or non-binary, right? But even if folk, even if someone, you know, is assigned female at birth, identifies as a girl and then as a woman, like her understanding of her gender expression and presentation can shift over time too, right? So we think about gender as like encompassing a lot of different ways of understanding ourselves and expressing ourselves. And again, that sex gender binary that I mentioned, right, is this very narrow view of understanding like, okay, there's male, there's female, there's man, there's woman, there's no other categories. And again, we know that that's not, that that's a particular understanding that doesn't actually reflect, you know, the diversity of ways that people understand themselves and their bodies. So then sexuality is often understood through gender, right? So we define sexuality as like, oh, I'm gay because I identify as a man and I'm attracted to other men, right? Or I'm straight because I identify as a woman and I'm attracted to other men, right? Or I'm bisexual because I'm attracted to men and women and people of other genders too, right? So those are the ways that they're they're connected, right? Or we, we see them as related. Um, we also understand them as, I guess this, I just want to make a quick point about how we understand. We often see, like, for example, gender and sexuality as being very distinct, right? And I'm arguing for them as understanding them as separate, but also understanding them as related, right? So that, you know, for example, I identify as queer, and some of that is about how I understand my sexuality, but some of that is related to for example, like my transness and the fact that I've transitioned and I understand like those is really intimately connected, right? Like after when I transitioned, my sex, my sense of my sexuality and my sexual desire did change, right? I've started dating men, for example, right? And I never dated men before when I identified as a dyke. I was dating women. And so like there are these really intimate ways that these things shift for folks that I think it's important not to see them as totally separate, but it is important analytically to understand that sex, gender, and sexuality do kind of measure or mark different things. Do you have any resources for students either to learn more or who are maybe to like talk to, to someone if they're coming to terms with it and maybe don't have a safe place at home to discuss a sexuality with? Yeah, I mean, I think the world is really different than it was, you know, like in the early 1990s when I was a young person and thinking about this. So like the internet just has so many resources, you know, and and I think, you know, that's definitely there's a lot of online communities that if folks don't have people like in their real life, right, or their everyday life right now, particularly because we're still under a pandemic and folks are being quarantined or isolating in some ways. You know, there's definitely a lot of active groups online and online communities. I think, I mean, Sac State has the Pride Center, which is a good resource for folks. I know that they're doing some programming right now virtually, but once we're back on campus, that's a good resource. Yeah, I mean, I'm like nerdy and an academic, so I just read a lot of books, right, when I was young and, you know, figured out like how to had a better sense of myself and, you know, communities I want to be part of through, through um, those books but there are I know in Sacramento like for example there's the Lavender Library and Archives in Midtown which is a like a historical archives of LGBTQ materials in the Sacramento area but they also do a lot of um, programming and like community building um, so there's those kinds of spaces in, in Sacramento too. 
And then lastly, what advice might you give to a student who is maybe coming to terms with their own sexuality or exploring it or anything like that? Yeah, I think it's challenging. I mean, you know, I've been talking mainly through the rubric of like thinking about queer sexualities and because that's some of my area of expertise and my own positionality. But I do think, you know, your question is important in the way that we're living like for all of the changes that have happened socially and you know culturally in the last i don't know even 10 to 20 years around conversations around sexuality um, in the public sphere right particularly around women's sexuality and tied to kind of feminist discourses of like sex positivity and you know women feeling less um, policed around their sexuality um, I think that it's still, we still live in a highly sex negative country, right? Um, there's still a lot of really oppressive ideologies that we all internalize about what like our sexuality should be, whether like regardless of identity, right? But like even the idea of like having desire, how we express it or how we like claim our own pleasure, right? And our own like bodily autonomy is really hard, right? I think it's it's definitely hard for queer folks, but I think it's hard for women in general. And I think it's hard for some men too, because the, the messages that men get are really destructive as well. I would just advocate for folks trying to find like like-minded people they can talk to, right? And not um, like sort of tune out this sort of dominant messaging that often is like, really like tells us how to be in particular ways or that we're okay or not okay if we want certain things or understand ourselves in certain ways and like just having people that you trust in your life that you feel like you can have these conversations with is really important. This episode of Real Talk with Rose is sponsored by Hornet Commons. Hornet Commons is a brand new on-campus Sac State housing community. Hornet Commons offers fully furnished two or four bedroom apartments on Sacramento State's campus with all the things that make the Sac State community unique and lovable. You'll never far away from fun or your classes because Hornet Commons is at the center of it all. Steps away from the well, sports venues, and local hotspots. Experience all that student housing has to offer with tons of great amenities, including bocce ball courts, fire pits, and even a dog park. Because Hornet Commons is also pet friendly, you'll love calling Hornet Commons home. They take care of everything from living essentials to entertainment and recreation. Their inclusive package helps simplify living and maximize convenience to make your life easy so you can focus on school and having fun. Visit hornetcommons.com for more information or to schedule your tour today. Now, let's hear from the Pride Center Coordinator at Sac State. What's going on, everybody? My name is Melissa McGonza-Murphy. My pronouns are she, they, and sis, and I serve as your Sacramento State Pride Center Coordinator. All right, so what are some services that the Pride Center offers? So I can actually start with the history of the Pride Center, and then I can tap into those services. So the Pride Center uh, began at Sac State in 2006 and officially is 15 years old as of today, which is our spring 2021. And um, it really started out as student activism, uh, talking about the different needs and erasure and feeling invisible, right, for queer, trans, and non-binary students, or even students that had questions about sexuality, allies that are looking to become accomplices, right, that are looking to dig deeper and really advocate for our sense of belonging for our gay students on campus. And students decided to 
really put it in proposal, right, to the administration to say, hey, we need a center. We have a center for all these other students. Like, where is where's our love at? Um, and if uh, for folks that are not familiar with this term intersectionality, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw developed this term in the 90s, right, when she was understanding that she was both black and a woman. And people would ask her, like, out of advocacy, like, you need to stand up for black folks. She's like, yeah, but black folks are not standing up for black women, right? And then women's groups would say, we need to stand up for women. But she would say, yeah, but y'all don't care about black folks. And so she just opened up the conversation about that people have multiple identities and the world is always constantly asking them to ask which one is most important. But in reality, they're all important, right? Because all of them show up and they shape the way in which we see the world way we navigate in it. And so for our queer students, right, people are saying like, hey, you need to be down folks of color. They're like, yeah, but folks of color forgetting that there are queer folks of color. There are trans folks of color. There are non-binary folks of color that y'all are saying don't exist or, you know, are, are, uh, are in need of additional mental health support and are facing another layer of systematic oppression due to the religious, cultural, societal oppression, right? And so the center starting out of the activism of students and then I'm getting really administrative support from the associate vice president at the time to say this is necessary. Um, so uh, with that, um, the Pride Center then went on to do these things called safe zone trainings, right, where people would come in and have conversations about inclusive language, how to expand their view on the world, really talk about the origins of like hate for gay folk, um, frustration for gay folk, religious oppression, cultural oppression, and then systematic erasure. Right, where you won't be able to you wouldn't be able to see it in the media. You couldn't read about it in textbooks, right? You were criminalized if you would hold your partner's hand. You couldn't get housing, you can get fired. This is how they suppressed folks feeling visible. And so the Pride Center said we need to do something about that. And so now in 2021, uh, the Pride Center first offers jobs, right? Student employment. Uh, we hire five students every year, including graduate students. I have to always give love to my grad students. Uh, we also provide uh, volunteer opportunities. Uh, there's also a uh, not only volunteer program, but there's an internship program that's coming down the pipeline for folks that want to get involved with our community partners, uh, like our Sacramento LGBT Center. We also have the uh, Gender Health Center. We have the Lavender Library. We have the Greater Stonewall Foundation of Sacramento. So all of these are our campus partners, our Rainbow Chamber of Commerce. And so there's internship programs through there. And of course, we still got our safe zone training. We still do that. And then uh, when we're on campus, we provide safer sex, um, you know, products. So that'd be condoms, tampons, pads, lube, things of that nature. So yeah. And then of course, we have full ride scholarships for students. So we always encourage students to apply to our scholarship opportunity every year. And you don't have to be identifying to apply. You do have to though center the needs um, and the needs and concerns of LGBT folks. All right. And then, so like, as you just said, it's not just like everyone is welcome. So maybe someone who is questioning their sexuality or just like trying to figure out what that sort of means for them, like they're able to get information through the Pride Center, right? Absolutely. So uh, you could do it through connecting with one of our students. You could do it through having a one-on-one -on -one with me. You could do it through coming to one of the training opportunities. You could do it in any of those ways, any of those ways. And the cool thing about it is for a number of people before they got to college, the conversation of sex, sexual identity, and sexual orientation never came up. It just never comes up. Um, it could be to uh, parental discomfort. 
it could be to you know just in this household the cultural norms of this household sex is not something you should be thinking about folks will say so it's like why would we talk about it if you're not supposed to be thinking about it but I don't know about you I was exploring my body at the age of five right like hmm, things are going on you know I'm having certain feelings or like wow things are morphing I'm just trying to figure it the heck out and it's like if you can't talk to someone about that that's actually more harmful than you actually being exposed to what's out there and you making the conscious decision to explore yourself right What's the easiest way for the, a student to get in contact with the Pride Center? Oh, social media, hands down. That'd be the first thing. I would I would totally DM us. You can hit us up on Twitter or on Instagram at Sac State Pride Center. Uh, you can send me an email, right? M-U-G-A-N-Z-O at C-S-U-S dot E-D-U. And that would probably be the easiest way. Um, and are there any programs that are coming up during the summer or any workshops that you guys hold um, that are coming up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have a safe zone training on June 9th. And that's, again, as long as you are a Sac State employee or student, you can go and it's free. It's June 9th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And then for the first time ever in the history of Sacramento State, we are having summer programming. and It's going to be called the Allyship Program. And that's going to be happening once a month. So if you're just like, I just want to talk about some subject matter or just be in space with people that are having conversations about how do we become more equitable, more welcoming, more loving, more supportive, um, that would be the place to go. And that, too, is free. I know that for a number of people, the word ally seems really, I don't know. People are scared to become allies, right? Um, and I think people think when you say ally, that just means you're an ally to queer and trans folks, but you really are an ally to humanity, right? Because no one is just gay. No one is just that, right? They're human first, right? Um, and so something to think about is a terminology we had to use for folks that are like just now getting into this, like, oh my gosh, it's a world outside of the world that I'm used to, is really, um, you know, talking to yourself and asking yourself, like, why am I afraid to be an ally? And if whatever I'm afraid of in far of allyship is probably what that community is facing, right? If I'm afraid to be discriminated against, made fun of, bullied, ostracized by family, I feel like people will stop talking to me. Imagine what that community is going through and um, how they're still making space and being resilient, right? So just to first think about that. And um, if you can, you know, look out for a friend, right? In one situation or one conversation, it gets easier and easier and easier. And so a term we like to use is aspiring ally, because we're always constantly trying to become more right? Better every day. We're trying to become more of an ally, trying to get better every day. And you can never, ever be fully skilled in someone's identity. You just can't, right? We're evolving every single day. And then two, recognize that um, religion and culture and social norms are not a reason to hate someone. It's not a reason to hate someone. You can disagree, right? You can disagree, but hate, that takes a lot of energy, what would be your biggest advice um, for someone who's maybe coming to terms with their sexuality or just exploring the term for the first time or even, you know, women trying to figure out what their sexuality is to them? I want to first say um, in your heart of hearts, you know who you are, right? You know who you are. The questioning comes when you think that you're going against what you've been taught, right? What you what you've seen or what you feel like you haven't seen, right? That That's really where the questioning comes in the conflict. But deep down, right, these feelings, these curiosities, these moments 
are true and real. And you should first know that there's nothing wrong with you, right? Everything is right with you. You you are made perfectly, right? You are made perfectly. And everything about you is beautiful. So that'd be the first thing to be like, yeah, huh, honey, me too, okay? That'd be the first thing. The second thing is to say, okay, what resources do I have the closest access to? So if it's the Pride Center for a Sac State student, if it's the LGBT Resource Center for folks in the community, if it's the Gender Health Center for folks in the community, even if it's the, the Student Health Center on campus, we have liaison ships. And you know, and you feel comfortable saying like, hey, I, I, I'm looking to explore my sexuality a bit more. I have questions about some of my feelings. And they'll refer you to me, right? They'll refer you to me. Um, the other thing too is to uh, don't be so quick to feel like you have to have a term to identify you, right? Because terms are always changing and evolving and sometimes eliminating. So I think people feel like pressure too, like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm queer. Okay, I'm a lesbian, right? It, 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 it takes a lot to get to that point, but I wouldn't worry so much about the labeling. I would worry so much about like what feels true and real and whole to you. And if you get to that moment and then you find an identifying label that fits you, fantastic. But don't feel pressured to like find the specific label or feel like you have to give up everything, right? Just uh, stick to your feelings and your true emotions and continue to explore. That's the beauty about being an adult, right? You explore because you have agency to do so. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Talk with Rose. This is the last episode for the semester, so if you've been listening since my first episode, thank you, and I hope you've enjoyed. As always, information on this episode's topic are in the show notes below.